Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast with nostalgic bears, hot fields full of leather and weapons, Japanese home cooking, new podcast news, music, and stories of a young boy wizard going through some troubles. I'm your host, Andrew Logan, and let's dive right into it. So this week, we've got quite the podcast. I took a swing at making some classic Japanese meals at home that I want to share with you all. I went to the Washington State Renaissance Fair down in Bonnie Lake and tell you my stories regarding that. We do have some new podcast news, which will occur right at the very end of the podcast. I got three brand new Harry Potter chapters for y'all to listen to, and two brand new songs of the week, which could not be more contradicting if I tried. Also, I talk about the brand new Disney movie, Christopher Robin, and how amazing it is. But, as always, let us start by listening to some tunes. Here are our songs of the week. This week's songs of the week could not be more different from each other. One is just a general, good, just kind of calm, relaxing, I would call it a porch swing jam. And the other one is a song that always pumps me up and gets me just ready to just kind of run down the street just screaming about how awesome metal is. But let's talk about the first song first. Now, this one was difficult. I have been spending the last week or so of my life listening to almost nothing but this particular band and picking one song, one song to listen to for like a song of the week from this band is really difficult because there's so many great songs. So I imagine this will not be the last time. Fleetwood Mac graces the song of the week list, but I had to give it up. Uh, to a song that came off of Rumors, released in 1977, technically. It was recorded in 76. But because of all the struggles and stuff that went into this album, it didn't come out until the following year. Never going back again. It's super just kind of like... It feels like a guy on his guitar just going like bing 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 ding 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 ding. ding. Oh, yeah, like I don't need to sing it. You'll hear it in a second. But it's it's very kind of light and plucky. Um, and the lyrics for most of the songs on Rumors are just chock-a-block full of the interpersonal conflicts that was going through the bands at this time. And if you ever want an, a fascinating album story, listen or just watch and read up on like the recording of Rumors. It was uh, an arduous process and it gave us one of the greatest um, classic rock albums of all time. Rumors by Fleetwood Mac is incredible. In fact, if you look on the Wikipedia page, the very last sentence in the little blurb at the beginning says, in 2018, the album was selected for preservation in the National Recording Registry, being deemed culturally, historically, and artistically significant by the Library of Congress. So this album's fucking important. It sold over 40 million copies worldwide, and I'm not saying that, like, how well an album does financially is a mark of how good it is uh, for, like, all albums, but like, this album is just phenomenal. Um, even if you don't like classic rock, this this album is iconic and just how phenomenal it really is. And every song on here deserves to be applauded uh, for just how incredible it is. Uh, every song on this album is just incredible. And I, like I said, pretty much the whole album will end up on this list at some point. Um, but I'll start with Never Going Back Again, and I'm sure we'll cover others much later on. Um, but let's hear a little bit of just how, how strong Fleetwood Mac really is. A truly, 
truly phenomenal band. Now let us flip forward just a couple of decades, just a couple, uh, to an album that came out in 2017 called Prophecies of Ragnarok by a band called Brothers of Metal, which is a Swedish heavy metal group founded in 2012. And the song off of here is called We Believe in Metal, which is a uh, sentiment I can fully appreciate. I did want to say this one line off of uh, the Wikipedia page I'm reading here. I believe I, uh, this is translated. Um, I think this is uh, the Swedish Wikipedia page, but it says um, the debut album was released in 2017 under the title Prophecy of Ragnarok. The band consists of eight musicians, including three vocalists, two singers, and one singer. <laughs> That's just a translating error, uh, I'm pretty sure. Um, there's three singers, a bass guitarist, three guitarists, and then a drummer. Um, so it's a pretty large band, but We Believe in Metal is exactly what it sounds like. It's all talking about, like, all you need is metal. Um, we ride into battle and reach for the sky, and it's like, uh, you know, we're all like brothers of metal, and it's it's uh, metal, power metal, and Viking metal, and all that awesome Nordic metal is really about, like, unity and brotherhood and strength of, like, soul and being, and, like, being with your bros and just working together for like the power of metal and all that stuff and all that shit just hypes me up just oh it's so good like it just oh it makes you feel strong it makes you feel powerful it makes you makes you want to just break out all your swords and just be like metal so it's a uh, it's good stuff here's a little bit of it Two incredibly different songs. I don't think I could have picked more polar opposite songs to pair together for a song of the week. But it's like when I'm not listening to Fleetwood Mac, I'm listening to Brothers of Metal. So you can see the bind I'm in. And if you want to free me from my shackles of classic rock and awesome power metal, well, it sounds like you're going to have to send in a song suggestion at goamcast at gmail.com or using the contact page at goamcast.com. I want to hear your songs. I need them in my life. I've, I've been listening to rumors nonstop, and I could listen to that album forever, but I need something else to jam on. I need more jams all up in my business. So hit me up. Goingcast at gmail.com or goingcast.com. Use the contact page. Song of the week. Drop down option right there. It's super simple. You can also tweet me at goingcast on Twitter. Or, um, you know, once again, just uh, send me your thoughts and prayers. That always works. So thanks all very much for listening to these songs. Can't wait to see what songs y'all got. And hey, you know what? I think it's time to move on to the next thing in the podcast. So recently in Washington, it has been swelteringly hot. We're talking temperatures up in the 80s, perhaps even a nine or two here and there. But today it was down in the 70s, which is, uh, you know, comparatively quite cool. And I couldn't think of anything better to do on such a lovely weekend than to spend an hour and a half inside of a car to drive south of Tacoma to go to the Washington State Renaissance Fair, which is held in Bonnie Lake um, for like three weekends in August. And this is my third time going to the Ren Fair. Uh, you can actually see a picture of uh, the Ren Fair on the blog if you go over there at goingupcast.com. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about my adventures at the Ren Fair. So it opened at like 10 o'clock in the morning and we got there at like 10.20. We were meeting up with um, uh, some friends and family and we just kind of did the circuit. Uh, the Ren Fair is predominantly comprised 
of vendors and merchants selling a whole bunch of strange things. Uh, you can get like period accurate clothing, a lot of leather work, a lot of leather work, um, weapons, uh, archery supplies, quivers, arrows, bows. You can get masks. You can get period accurate food and drink. Um, but you could also get like, uh, what should we jigger? Uh, like barbecue nachos and uh, pizza and garlic fries and stuff like that. So it kind of plays to both worlds on that front. You can go to the archery range and shoot a bow. You could throw an axe, which I'm terrible at. Um, I can never get the axe to like sh stick in the target. It always flips over like one too many times and bounces off. Um, so I'm terrible at axe throwing. I'm really good at archery. I can shoot a bow very well, but I can't throw an axe. Don't know why. Uh, but there was that. Uh, several stages and beer gardens all over the place uh, where you can watch puppetry, um, plays, some skits, a lot of comedic acts, that kind of stuff just all over the place. There's a huge field for like arena um, gladiatorial combat and jousting matches and stuff like that. It's a big it's a big field. It's a lot of fun. There's plenty to do there uh, to entertain yourself for a day. And like I said, this was the third time I've done it. Um, so you more or less kind of know what you're going to get. Um, I mean, a lot of the merchant stuff is very expensive. It'll be like, oh, that's a neat leather jacket for $600 pass. You know, that kind of thing. Um, very specialist items uh, that are very expensive. Um, so, you know, if you plan on going and like buying your a whole outfit, I hope you're ready to dish out probably somewhere in the neighborhood of like $1,000 for like a full blown outfit. And some of the costumes and the cosplay that the people do at these fairs are insanely impressive. Um, and more power to them. I'm standing there in jeans and a t-shirt because I don't own shorts. And I don't uh, have the have the cash to just blow it on a, on a Ren Faire outfit like that. If I had that kind of money bouncing around, it'd be my savings account. So, you know, to each their own. But uh, I wanted to highlight a couple of things. Number one, there's this one act that I see every year. And every year he's incredible. His name is Broon. B-R-O-O-N. Um, I think he's got like Facebook and stuff and you go find him on there. But uh, I would I would call his act comedic, maybe not magic, comedic stunts, I guess, would be a, would be a good term. Uh, he does some tricks with like a bull whip and some pretzels. He does a trick where he like juggles flaming torches and a bowling ball, um, that sort of stuff. And while his act is uh, the same every uh, every time you see him, it's always it's always good fun. Uh, he is uh, very entertaining. His his like thirty to forty five minute act is spot on. It's a lot of fun. Um, he's very funny. I, I like I don't want to say any of his jokes because I couldn't do it justice. But if uh, if you go online, uh, you can probably find a schedule of where he's going to be next, or maybe some old videos of that he's done at other Ren fairs. Uh, he's very entertaining, so I would highly recommend tracking him down. Or hey, to go out to your own local Ren fair and see if you can find him because. He does the circuit. He like travels back and forth across the country just doing Ren Fairs, doing a show, which is um which is awesome. So he he was very entertaining. And the second thing I wanted to talk about was something I bought. <laughs> now this on the heels of me saying ah everything's so expensive, and uh, it is. But um I swore to myself this time that I wouldn't buy anything unless it had a practical purpose, like a mug or clothing, like you know something that has a use. Um not only did I not listen to myself. I bought something that will sit on a shelf, uh, and I have so much of that, but this particular piece is 
is I like I saw it and I'm like I need this in my life and so I bought it um and of course um as most things like this go the vendor couldn't let it go without telling me the story of the item um which I, I wish I knew more to be perfectly honest but the information I have regarding this item and you can see a picture of it on the blog um it is a I'll describe it here for you now it is a green dragon who's sitting at like a writing desk and um on the bottom of the art piece it says like draconis like scribicus and he's called like a dragon scribe in like english and that's like that's his latin name and i was like that's really cool because it takes like my love of fantasy and all that stuff um and pairs it with my, my love of learning and it's just like oh man it's like two worlds in one and according to the um elderly woman who was selling it to me she herself uh, was moving and needed to get rid of some of her stuff and so she brought three pieces in there was a red dragon and a blue dragon all done in the same style of this but they, it was like one was just like standing up and the other one was like like lying on a log this was this dragon was doing something unique um that i had not seen before and uh she said the woman that made them they were all handmade uh the woman was in her 70s when she created them before the person who sold them to me bought them and so i'll have to carry that story along um when i inevitably get rid of this piece of art but not for some time because i really do enjoy it and um actually it reminds me a bit of dark souls with like see the scaleless who who was like a scholar dragon who just went off and read a bunch of books and stuff so it has it has a lot of like subtle things going on in my in my memory bank of what this dragon is like bringing forth so i like it quite a bit and i also got a um uh, like a kiln uh, fired D20 that was like the numbers are painted on in glaze and it's got a good heft to it so I've put the D20 with the scribe dragon um, and now in my head that's like a complete set so that is a that's a lot of fun so yeah I did enjoy I enjoyed my time at the Ren Fair didn't drink any booze I knew I wasn't going to be there for very long indeed I was only there for a couple of hours and I was driving both ways so couldn't get any booze but uh if you want to go there for cruising and boozing, that's a, that's definitely an option. Um, but I would I recommend to y'all to check out your local Ren Fair. You might be sitting here thinking, oh, it's just going to be full of nerds. It's going to be full of D&D &D nerds, like LARPing and stuff. And it's it's a lot more than that. It's just a fun, it's a fun day out. I think you'll have fun. Even if like, you don't have to be a nerd. And it's not very nerdy, to be honest. Um, Like they're not super in your face about being like what ho fair lady and fine gentleman what bringeth thine presence into my tent peruse my local wares will you they're not they're not really doing that um there's a fair bit of that to be sure but it's not way over the top it's much more casual like they'll do that occasionally but they won't be all up in your face about it they'll just, it's just like we're not talking like this because we're at a Ren Fair. We're talking like this because it's a Ren Fair and it's a lot more casual. It's like when they talk like that, it's, it just sounds normal, you know? It just sounds like that's just how they've always spoken. Like how you like you and I would talk to each other. It's just super, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. Cool. Good to see you. Welcome to, welcome to my tent. Uh, let me know if you have any questions. It's that kind of stuff. Um, super fun. Super fun. Yeah, but that was a, that was a good, good outing. I enjoyed it. And uh, I think that'll be enough of my Renfair uh, memory train for all y'all to listen to. And hey, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. 
So, I just got back from seeing the latest Disney movie, Christopher Robin, and I'm here to tell you that it is awesome. I was a little concerned going in because I saw the Rotten Tomatoes rating, and uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a, like a 67 or something like that, and I'm like, oof, that's a that's pretty low. I hope it's, you know, not bad or overly dark or anything like that. Um, uh, I saw a couple of reviews saying that it uh, was a little too dreary. And I was going in kind of going like, oh no, is it going to be like horribly depressing? Um, but it, it toes the line decently well. Uh, right when it gets just a little too down, a little too depressing, like Winnie the Pooh shows up. And it's like, oh, thank God. Ugh. <laughs> like, I need some I need some bear hijinks in this movie. And it has bear hijinks. Um, it has some wonderful um, moments. If you grew up watching Winnie the Pooh, like the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh, like I did. Um, then you'll have a lot of callbacks, uh, like things with like the poo sticks. Um, just, oh, there's some, there's some excellent moments uh, in this movie. It's animated gorgeously. Um, I love the design of Winnie the Pooh and his friends, um, and that kind of classic stuffed animal feel, but it's, it's kind of weird. Cause it's like Winnie the Pooh looks like a stuffed bear and Tigger looks like a stuffed bear and Eeyore and Piglet all look like a stuffed bear but like Rabbit just looks like a straight up rabbit and um, Owl looks like a straight up owl like just he's an owl um, they're all gorgeously animated I would say this movie hits um, the right beats you you if you if you've seen these sorts of movies before um, one of the best examples and something that I've seen a lot of parallels being drawn between is Hook um, where you have like your iconic character who grows up and becomes an adult and has responsibilities and forgets who they are, only to be reminded over the course of the movie who they are by their friends. And um, unlike Hook, where uh, Robin Williams fights um, Dustin Hoffman, uh, here we just have Christopher Robin having fun in the woods with his buds. And it's, it's pretty low-key in comparison. Um, I almost equate this to uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, how it's like, it's a good Sunday movie. Like, the stakes don't get very high, if um, if you know what I mean. There's a little bit in the beginning when it kind of blasts through uh, Christopher Robin's life uh, to reveal he's actually a World War II vet. Uh, so there's a little bit of World War II right there in the very beginning, just kind of out of nowhere. Um, and I will say that the intro has a, has a kind of an up feel to it. Just like you watch Christopher Robin grow up and he goes through all this horrible shit and it like cuts back to Pooh, like staring longingly at Christopher Robin's door, like waiting for him to come back and he never does. And you're just like, ah, oh, oh, Pooh Bear. And um, it's it's a it's a it's a very fun movie. Um, I would call it a heartwarming. Um, I would say also stay to the very end. Uh, there is a wonderful after credit scene. Um, I don't feel too spoilery telling you this, and I think you'll you appreciate it more if you know this going in. The after credit scene um, shows a man on the piano um, playing the piano on like a beach and they're all on vacation. And that that man is one of the Sherman brothers. Uh, Richard, I believe his name is Richard Sherman. And if you don't know who the Sherman brothers are, you've heard their work. They are some of the original um, songwriters for the Disney company. They wrote Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. They wrote It's a Small World After All. They wrote the Winnie the Pooh stuff, the Tigger song. Um, like all the Winnie the Pooh songs you know and love. Up, Down, Touch the Ground, Puts Me in the Mood for Food. Uh, Half Lums and Woozles, that was all 
the Sherman Brothers. They wrote a bunch of songs for the rides in the park, including There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow, uh, which was the Carousel of Progress. Like, their their work is legendary in, in Disney, and it was a wonderful uh, thing to have him be in the movie um, and write original songs again. He wrote four songs for this movie, um, which is awesome. He and his brother were iconic songwriters for Disney. Uh, so as a, as a huge Disney fan, I super appreciated seeing um, the, uh, the, the uh, Richard Sherman doing his due, just playing that piano like he always did and uh, giving, us, giving us some new Winnie the Pooh jams to just sink and ease into. It's that classic songwriting style, very family-friendly, very, um, like, uh, I don't want to say, like, childish in a mean way, but it, like, it has the spirit of Disney in his music. It's, it's pretty incredible. So, yeah, the movie is phenomenal. Um, bring tissues. It, it'll make you cry. Made me cry. It's, it's a sad, it hits you hard. I mean, it's, that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to hit you hard and then make you happy. And it does that in spades. And you know what? Um, unlike, unlike most of these movies, where it's like he has the adventure with his friends and then takes these lessons and then like go, returns to his old life. Nah, that doesn't happen. Like, it seems like where this movie leaves off, it's just like Christopher Robin and his family like are just gonna go have Winnie the Pooh adventures. Like, the one of the last things you see in the movie is like the whole family and the Hundred Acre Woods just like having a ball. And I'm just like, that's great. That's exactly how this movie should have ended. So, it was awesome. And like, you know, they're just off gallivanting and having a grand old time. And that's exactly what it uh what it needed to be so yeah it was it was it was very good um if you don't want to see it in theaters i think that's totally fine um there's not much gained um by seeing it on the big screen to be perfectly honest um there's no like action scenes or cool like what the fuck um effects there wasn't any kind of like really cool trippy heffalumps and woozle scene uh there's a little bit of one like a tiny snippet of one but it wasn't nearly as as terrifying as it was in the cartoon, um, which is one of my favorite scenes in Winnie the Pooh. I love the Heffalumps and Weasel scene. It's like pink elephants on parade, but with, like, I don't know, honey instead of alcohol. Um, but, yeah, I would have I would have loved one of those scenes. And if that scene existed in the movie, I would have absolutely been like, you gotta go see this in theaters just for the Heffalumps and Weasel scene. But not in the film, unfortunately, which is, uh, which is a bit of a bummer. All the other good Winnie the Pooh songs are in there, though. Um, wonderful thing about Tiggers, it's all in there. So... You, you'll you'll be happy if you're a, if you're a Winnie the Pooh Winnie the Pooh fan. Just gotta just gotta remind you of that. But yeah, I think you can wait till Netflix or um, the Disney streaming service, which I think is coming out end of this year or middle of next. I can't quite remember, but it's on the horizon. And I know what you're gonna say. I don't want to pay for another Netflix, but let's be honest. Disney's saying that it's going to have an archive of something like 8,000 pieces of media across television and film over the course of its, like, decades-long existence. And I, I know there's a couple of shows I can think of off the top of my head that, like, if Disney if this streaming service has even one of these shows, I'm going to get it. Um, so, I think uh, we're all going to complain that we don't want it, and I don't want it either. I wish it was just all on one, you know, just to have everything together. But that's not the world we live in. So I'll, I'll buckle down and get my Disney streaming service license because, you know, I want to see like House of Mouse and New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh and Darkwing Duck and Tailspin and um, DuckTales and Gargoyles and oh God, the list goes on. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. 
And now that they are buying Fox, like, you're going to get, like, Simpsons and stuff on there, too. Oh, well. But, yes, Christopher Robin. Excellent movie. Would highly recommend it. Uh, what's your favorite Disney movie? That's right. We're going to we're gonna play this game now. What's your favorite Disney movie? I've already told you mine. It's The Lion King. Um, but there, there are very few Disney movies I do not enjoy. So, you know, I might be, I might be biased in that. But what's your favorite Disney movie? Or at least favorite Disney movie, you know? Which one do you just like, oh my god. This is a Disney misstep. This is almost as bad as Meet the, Meet the Robinsons. <laughs> uh, this movie's trash. Anyway, I'd love to hear about it. Let me know at goingcast at gmail.com or using the contact page at goingcast.com. And hey, you know what? Let's do what Christopher Robin, not Christopher Robin. He, uh, I suppose by the end of the movie he would do this. But let's focus, let's do what Winnie the Pooh would do. And that is nothing. Because doing nothing leads to the best of somethings. And by doing nothing now, we can move on to the next thing in the podcast. You know what they say? Another week, another brand spanking bundle of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets chapters. Well, I think we've got some doozies this week. We have chapter 10, The Rogue Bludger. We've got chapter 11, The Dueling Club. And chapter 12, The Apologies Potion. Now, normally, due to the fact that I recorded these episodes very long ago, I like to re-listen to the chapters to figure out exactly what the best bit is to share with you all in the podcast itself. I did not have to do that this week. There is one moment in such infamy between me and my friend group who have all listened to my podcasts and uh, my audiobooks. There was one moment... That stands out above all the others. And that is in chapter 10 of book 2, about four minutes in. I read a word wrong, and I just, I'll just let you listen to it. They dropped their voices as they entered the muffled stillness of the library. Madame Pence, the librarian, was a thin, irritable woman who looked like an under, underfed. Underfed vo- What the- What is that word? Underfed. Hold on. I'm looking this up. That's not a word. Underfed. Never heard of that. Underfed. What does that mean? Underfed. Um, insufficiently fed or undernourished. Oh, underfed! <laughs> oh my- Oh man! Oh wow! That was awesome. All right, underfed, underfed. Huh. All right. Well, apparently, Madame Pence looks like an underfed vulture. <laughs> Holy crap! That moment is one of my favorite moments. I want to get like underfed mugs like an underfed bumper sticker I love it I love just oh to be to be young and underfed just such a oh my god I I promise you that was 100% legit that that flub it wasn't scripted nothing in the audiobook is scripted it's all off the cuff so that was bang on exactly what happened three brand new episodes of the Harry Potter audiobook land every Wednesday night uh, instead of Thursday morning, if you missed last week's uh, episode, they do come out the day before now, uh, simply because it's easier and that's when I uploaded them anyway. 
And we're getting pretty close, gang. We're getting pretty close. I only got two more weeks of this, which means I've got to get off my butt and uh, start storyboarding out the uh, video for Prisoner of Azkaban because I'm going to have to film that here pretty soon and uh, put that up. So, yeah, enjoy these Harry Potter chapters. I mean, things are getting pretty serious. Things are getting pretty serious. All these Muggleborns are dying. What's Harry going to do? Well, the only way you're going to find out is if you listen to the, uh, to the audiobook. Hope you enjoy it. And hey, you know what? Let's move on to the next thing of the podcast. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you will know that I enjoy cooking a lot. I've made Tom Ka's soup, uh, and the recipe of which can be found on the blog. I've cooked throughout my whole life. I've a master of microwaved Mexican food. I can I can cook you up the best microwave quesadilla you've ever had in your life. That's just my 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 bread and butter. That's where I build my house. My culinary house is built around the microwave. But recently, I really am trying to expand my horizons and cook things I've never cooked before, just so I have like more things in my wheelhouse. You know, um, I'm a master on the grill. I can grill anything, no problem. Super good, super strong there. And I'm currently, along with the Tomka soup, I'm branching more into um, the uh, the East Asian uh, cuisines. We've done Thai food with the tomka soup, and this time around, I wanted to branch out into Japanese cooking, and so I picked up uh, off of Amazon here, Mastering the Art of Japanese Home Cooking by Iron Chef Masaharu Morimoto, who is my all-time favorite Iron Chef. I love him to bits, and this whole book is full of humor and recipes, Japanese uh, culture. It's chock-a-block packed. Like, it's just a good read overall. Um, if you, you know, if you just want a new book to read, it's very informative. It's fantastic. Um, and I decided to start simple, uh, and I decided to make dashi and then turn that dashi into miso soup, um, which is one of my all time favorite soups. I always get it whenever I go to a sushi joint, no matter what's going on. And, um, I know what you're thinking. It's like 98 degrees in Washington right now. What are you doing making piping hot soup? Well, I still made it. Um, I am sweating profusely having just eaten a piping hot bowl of soup, but I made it. Um, and I wanted to talk briefly about how I made it. Uh, there is a picture of the final product up on the blog right now that you can go admire. Uh, and I highly recommend you do so because I think it turned out marvelously. But I'm just going to break it down for you real quick. And we're just going to walk through what the, uh, the recipe is, what the ingredients are, where you can get them, that kind of jazz. So Dashi, as the book describes is the legendary Japanese super broth. That is the key to simple home cooking that has deep, satisfying flavor. There are two types of dashi described in this book. There is the normal dashi, which is made of a whopping two ingredients, dried fish or bonito flakes, um, which is the form you will find it in most stores, and kombu or kelp. And you take the kelp, you steep it in hot water until it just barely begins to bubble. You take the pot off the hot water, you take the kombu out, you put the bonito flakes in. It's a lot of bonito flakes. It's an ounce and a half of bonito flakes. And because it's so fluffy, it it's, it seems like a lot. But trust me, it really isn't. Um, it's about three cups, uh, as the book describes, lightly packed. Uh, and you put the bonito flakes in the in the kombu broth, um, not on heat. Let that steep for like three minutes. And then with cheesecloth or a strainer and some paper towels, you take all the bonito flakes out of the dashi, give it a light squeeze to get all the delicious juice out of there, throw out the bonito flakes, and boom, you got yourself some dashi. And that is the base 
of like a million different recipes in Japanese cooking. It's actually quite ingenious. It's it's the backbone of like the entire cuisine there. You got to have good dashi on hand all the time. They use it to cook rice. They use it in their soups. They use it with meat and noodle dishes. They use it all over the place and it's incredible. This one one-stop shop food stuffs is like a staple in every house and I, I love the idea of that like I guess the equivalent here would be like eggs or flour or chicken stock I guess would be it would be a closer thing it'd be like using chicken stock and everything they always have dashi on hand now let's say you can find kombu the kelp but you can't find bonita flakes or bonita flakes are too expensive and they are the priciest part of the dashi for sure um but overall it's a relatively very inexpensive broth to get a hold of and I think you can make like let's say you buy a bunch of chicken stock instead you can make chicken stock at home but I think per like gallon of broth it's cheaper to make dashi than it is to buy chicken stock because um like I have enough kombu to make dashi like five more times so it, it hangs out for a while and you can even make dashi without the bonita flakes it's called kombu dashi and it's the exact same thing just with kombu instead of you know or just just with kombu no bonita flakes involved so you can just simplify it especially if you're um vegetarian and you don't want the, like the fish flavor you know uh then absolutely just make some make some kombu dashi and i'm relatively certain that most japanese restaurants i've been to either just make kombu dashi or they make miso soup from a packet because the flavor i was able to get from the dashi with all the bonito flakes was much stronger and way more rich than i've ever had in a miso soup before the the fish flavor was very prominent and um it tastes like a bowl of ocean it's amazing it's so kind of um not thick but there's a lot of flavor on there the umami as is described in this book many times the pure deliciousness of food comes through a lot in this in this dashi that i made but let's yeah so you make your dashi whole process takes like 15 minutes super quick and most of that is just steeping the kombu so it's pretty hands-free as well second that water starts to boil even a little bit you take the pot off throw on the fish take all the stuff out boom you got your dashi and then you can do what i did immediately put the dashi back on the heat to make the miso soup now miso soup whilst being incredibly simple still takes a fair number of ingredients um, but it is easily like the simplest soup um, in this recipe book you need the dashi um, now if you follow Morimoto's recipe which requires eight cups of water in the dashi recipe you'll end up with actually twice as much dashi as recommended for this miso soup recipe um, which is totally fine I just made all of the dashi into miso soup and now I just have a big old bowl of made miso soup just chilling in my fridge that I can go up and reheat whenever you're gonna need white miso paste and it's kind of a for me at least it was a crapshoot of what miso to get you know there's there were like 13 million different varieties of miso a whole bunch of different companies all selling different miso there's low sodium miso there's red miso there's white miso there's all sorts of misos all over the place and i just went with what i thought was like the most baseline miso um and i think it turned out really good uh, the miso company i actually bought from was from like the 1600s so They've been making uh, miso for some time, so you know, tradition and all that. I'm hoping is imbued in these in these in this miso box. But you're gonna need your white miso. You're gonna need the the recipe here recommends silken tofu. 
Um, after eating the silken tofu, I prefer my tofu to have a bit more firmness to it. So the next time I'm gonna I'm gonna get tofu that has a bit more of a of a bite to it. Um, just like firm tofu, just something that I can sink my teeth into and something that doesn't fall apart when I gently blow on it. You know, it's, it's very soft tofu. Um, but you're going to get some of that, get some scallions and then, uh, wakame seaweed. It comes dried. Usually it looks a lot like tea leaves, but, uh, you bloom it in water first. You just let that stuff sit in cold water for like five minutes. The seaweed will unravel and become those little chunks of seaweed that you see in the bottom of miso soup bowls everywhere. It's a staple. So, you get your dashi back up to a uh, gentle simmer, and then you spoon some of the dashi out into a separate vessel where the miso paste is waiting, and then you whisk that together or stir it together until the miso is fully integrated in the dashi, um, and there's no large clumps or anything. Then you dump the miso into the pot of dashi, uh, mix all that together, toss in your scallions, your tofu, and your seaweed, mix that all together, take it off the heat, pour it in a bowl, and then you eat it. And like I said uh, before with the dashi, um, the flavor of this miso soup is much stronger, has a lot more depth of character to it, and I attribute all of that to the Bonito Flakes. I have to assume that I've, you know, like I said, it's either come from a packet or it's just kombu dashi in the past, a lot subtler of a flavor, and it doesn't punch you in the face with that kind of smoky, sweet, fishiness that um, Bonito Flakes brings to the table. But it was... Remarkably easy. I think the miso soup, um, because the, the dashi was already pretty hot, again, it probably took a grand total of five minutes to get all the ingredients together, and then bam, miso soup. You serve that shiz immediately. And then this book goes on to talk about miso soup with clams, or a hearty miso soup with pork and vegetables, so on and so forth. You may notice that in my miso soup picture on the blog, you see thin slices of pork, and that is because of another cookbook I picked up called The World of Warcraft Cookbook. Um, in the beginning of this cookbook, there are a list of spice blends that you can you can make um, to flavor different recipes that are that occur throughout the book. And um, I was a real big fan of the P ancient Pandaren spice blend here, which is made of Szechuan peppercorns, fennel seeds, ground cinnamon, ground anise, ground cloves, and ground cardamom. Um, I actually found star anise, whole cloves, and um, I ground those in a spice grinder um, ahead of time, uh, which was like a $20 purchase at Fred Meyer. Very affordable. And a fun fact about Szechuan peppercorns, if you've never had them or if you've never heard of what they are, they are not spicy like normal peppercorns. They have a pretty nice flavor to them. Uh, it's kind of fruity almost because um, I believe peppercorns are a berry to begin with. But the Szechuan peppercorn variety has probably an enzyme, I would have to guess or a chemical within the peppercorns themselves that will numb your mouth out and activate your saliva glands so you basically just start to drool on like just all over. It's like, it's such a weird sensation. Um, that sensation goes away when you cook the peppercorns. So don't worry about it. But if you, if you try to taste your spice blend uh, to see the balance of it before it's cooked, you're going to get a weird mouthfeel for sure. Just be aware of that going in. But I took the ancient Pandaren spices and I rubbed it all over a uh, pork tenderloin. I gave it a nice dry rub, threw that on the grill, took it off. It's got this weird kind of, um, the cinnamon and the cardamom come through very strongly in this dry rub. So it's got that kind of flavor to it. It's almost festive because I, I associate uh, cinnamon with the holidays. 
Um, and I sliced that as thin as I could just by hand. And I put that in the ramen just to give it more like stuff going on. Um, or not ramen, sorry. Put that in the miso soup. Turned it into like a faux ramen. Um, and that was that was very delicious. So that's why those bits of pork uh, chilling in that um, in that picture. But I'm very excited to dive deep into both of these cookbooks. Um, the World of Warcraft cookbook is a bit more kind of classic Americana, I would guess. Like it has a deviled eggs recipe. It's got um, sauteed carrots, button uh, mushrooms stuffing beef jerky how to make various types of bread how to make uh let's see how to make clam chowder um lukewarm yak roast broth that looks awesome um steaming goat noodles crunchy spider surprise forced strider drumsticks iron forge rations roasted quail tender shovel tusk state that kind of stuff like it's basically like chick roasted chicken and chocolate cake and stuff like that. It's just all themed World of Warcraft style, but this is a good all-around cookbook. I could probably cook a Thanksgiving feast out of this cookbook and it would turn out pretty pretty all right. But at the very end, it comes with a recipe for eggnog, so I absolutely will be making that later. And then the Japanese cookbook, oh my God, just the wealth of recipes that come out of this thing. It's it's incredible. And like 98% of them need dashi. So, but I'm just gonna quickly rattle off some of these. Uh, let's see. It can make, um, I mean, it's got some rice dishes in there. A lot of noodle dishes, like chilled soba noodles with mushrooms. Uh, it's got some simmered dishes, simmered mackerel, slow cooked pork belly with beer teriyaki glaze. Holy shit. Chicken simmered with lotus root and bamboo shoot, Japanese style beef stew, Japanese style curry, um, stir fried parsnips and carrots, stir fried vegetables. It teaches you how to pickle things. You can make miso pickles. Make rice bran pickles, salt pickles. Um, uh, teaches you uh, dressings and salads and stuff like that. Um, tempura. It's got some fried stuff in there. Uh, grilled chicken and vegetable skewers. A yakitori party. Oh man, it's got it's got a ton of delicious sounding things in here. And of course, how to make homemade udon noodles. Um, which I'm pretty sure I've nailed the, how to make the dough. I just didn't slice my noodles thin enough, nor did I cook them long enough. So it was a, it was a just a, a failure in execution on the actual preparation of the noodles. The last time I tried to make homemade udon noodles from scratch, so I'm willing to give that another shot. But I will need far less um, flour this time around than I uh, was foolish enough to buy in the first place. So yeah, I would say overall my cooking adventures continue to go well. I say I nailed the miso soup recipe first time out. That's usually what happens when you follow the recipe to a T. Uh, but I very much enjoyed it. And I will continue to cook out of these books for the foreseeable future. And um, I will share my, my adventures with y'all along with images and if the recipe turned out well or not. Or what changes I'd make. I wouldn't change anything about the miso. But I'm relatively certain if you're not a big fan of fish flavor and you just make it with kombu dashi, you'll get a much um, milder flavor. So if that's kind of your bag, then I think you'll end up with a with a... Maybe not better soup, but better soup for, for your taste, uh, if that is a concern. If you have any recipes that you would like me to cook in the in the Going Up cast test kitchen, I would be more than happy to whip it together. I'll go out and get the ingredients, and I'll cook it, and post pictures, and we'll talk about it, and I'll share your recipe. It'll be awesome. I'd love to get Oh, man, a Going Up cast cookbook? Dang, that'd be sweet. That'd be super sweet, because nothing makes me feel better. And then some delicious food, and I bet you feel the same way. 
But that'll do it for this segment of the podcast, and hey, let's move on to the next thing. And finally, I have two notes uh, for all of you, just a bit of housekeeping here. Number one, the Going Upcast is now on Google Podcast. Um, if you go onto Google Play and type in podcast, you'll find an app called Google Podcast. The Going Upcast is on there, um, despite everything I see saying it isn't. Um, I was able to download the app on my phone and listen to the Going Upcast on my phone. So it works. I've confirmed it works. Uh, so that's awesome. Brand new, brand new method for listening to the Going Upcast, which is awesome. And two, this Saturday, uh, August 11th, I believe. Yes, the 11th, starting at 2 o'clock Pacific Standard Time in the afternoon, is the very first Patreon live stream. The game of choice for this live stream uh, is being determined ahead of time. Um, future live streams will be determined by a, um, a poll uh, ahead of time. But I believe uh, the best entry game for this will be uh, DC Universe Online. Reason being is that it's free. So I'm telling you now, uh, if you want to play um, the game with me on Saturday's live stream for the Patreon, you can download the game for free on Steam right now. I would recommend doing that ahead of time just so you're ready to go. And uh, you need to be at least a $5 supporter on Patreon in order to get access to the live stream. So if you want to be a part of the live stream, make sure you do all those things uh, before Saturday at 2 p.m. Um, I will tweet out the exact um, start time like on all on how to watch the live stream and all that stuff on the Twitter page. So keep your eyes there on the Twitter page. That will be how you find out. And if you are a supporter, I should have the functionality to message straight through Patreon a link to find the um, the live stream. So I believe that's the best way to do it. I'm hopeful. I haven't actually checked, but I'm pretty sure that's how that's going to go down. And uh, I think that's going to do it for this week. Very excited for the podcast. I'm very much looking forward to talking to all of you and chatting it up and just, you know, being superheroes or supervillains, depending on which side of the game we decide to play on. Um, I'll leave that up to you guys. Um, but yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited about it. And I think that'll, uh, that'll do it for this week. Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, go to your local Ren Fair. Go see Christopher Robin. Listen to the Harry Potter audiobooks. Enjoy the new songs of the week, and you know what? Have a, have a great week. And I'll see you all tomorrow for Harry Potter chapters, and I'll see some of you on Saturday for the live stream, which I'm very excited about. And I'll see the rest of you next week for another episode of The Going Upcast. Thank you very much for listening. Y'all have a wonderful week. See you next time! <laughs>